0: Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Right, today my topic was people of faithfulness. Um, We're looking at sort of following Jesus, okay, living in the kingdom. So, Basically, I'm going to look at how, sort of some lives and testimonies of people of faith, and I, sometimes, you know, I personally am encouraged or challenged um, when I hear stories about people and what they do, so hopefully this will encourage you. So, I'm going to talk about St. Francis of Assisi, Heidi Baker. William Booze, person called Maria during the war, and St. Nicholas. So, oh, as much as I uh, get through. Okay. Now, I do have a Catholic heritage. <laughs> okay. Um, but it wasn't because of that. Um, reading about St. Francis was quite... It just struck me how the, the similarities between... His his life and the testimony that I've heard of Heidi Baker. So I thought it was quite um, a good thing to sort of maybe look at Saint Francis. He was actually born with the name Giovanni, but he was uh, born of Italian parents. But he was born in France. His father was a, a cloth merchant, very rich family. He was very privileged. Um, and because he was born in France, he had the next nickname Francois, So, mm. hence um, that. So when he was young, he was only interested in having fun, um, enjoying life. He wasn't interested in joining his father's firm, you know. Um, however, it says that he wasn't in the habit of like, uh, you know, bad practices. He was very generous to the poor. Uh, who asked him out of the love of God for God he, um, in Assisi there was a war between regions of Italy, and uh, he, was obviously, he took part in the war and he was imprisoned um, and he was imprisoned for a year until his father paid the sort of, the ransom, the bail money, or whatever he liked, and during that time his he said that he was, he was never depressed or anything in the prison. He was quite sort of joyful or whatever. But it, it had an effect on his health, and he came back to a CC. He was very ill, he was gravely ill. But his mother brought him, uh, sort of nursed him back to health. Um, and when he was nursed back to health, you know, he wanted to, to be... Uh, um, chivalrous, you know, knight in shining armour sort of thing, it was medieval times and things. There was another war further south in Italy, so he decided that he would go and join the war, and he bought fantastic armour, and sort of you know, robes and things to wear (coughs) down to the the region where he was in war. Um, But he was one day when he was out and he was wearing all this uh, finery came across a poorly dressed gentleman um was poor and he was moved with compassion and basically swapped outfits with him um he never reached the battle because he became ill again um And while he was ill this time, he heard a voice exhorting him to serve the master and not the slave. So he then went back to Assisi. Um, And during this time, he became, you know, he was finding his faith, his role and what he was going to do and uh, someone asked him if he was in love and he says yes, he would reply I'm going to marry the most beautiful and the fairest of all those I've met Lady Poverty Um, On one occasion he was strolling uh, by on horse through um, they say prairies (laughs) of Assisi and fields he came upon a leprous man um, the wounds terrorized him, um, but he d- he didn't flee, and he approached the, approached the man, and the man extended his hands to receive arms from Francis, um, and Francis understood that at the time he had to take the next next step for the radical love of God. Um, he felt that, and despite. The wounds and everything of this man he approached him and gave him a kiss obviously gave him some arms and then went on his, wa- went on his way and when he looked back the man, the man wasn't there and so he, he said Jesus had come to visit him and see if he'd step out and that was the point where his life, you know, fully changed. Um, Francis would visit isolated places where he would pray, he would ask for forgiveness for his sins, and basically, he says, as he vented his soul, um, he was heard by the Lord. One day, while he prayed, Jesus appeared to him. Uh, as the crucified Christ and the memory of the passion of of the Lord was etched into his heart so he every time he remembered Christ crucified it it sort of brought him to tears and from then he began to visit the sick and the poor and things Um, another time he was in a church and he felt he heard the Lord speak to him as he was looking at the cross and he said go repair my house which as you can see is falling into complete ruin at the time Francis took that to mean that church because it was in a bit of disrepair so he went out and was looking at ways he could what he could do to restore the church so he went back to his father's home, got a lot of clothes and some of his father's clothes, and went out and sold them and then took the money to the church. But the priest sort of had an inkling of what he'd done and said, No, I can't accept it. And this sort of led to a sort of argument when his father found out, he came up and the bishop, Francis and the father were there. And so the, the the bishop give, gave the father back the money and francis said i i give up my inheritance or anything everything that you your lifestyle has to offer because my father is a father in heaven and um, from then on he didn't go home he was he was itinerant he just went out and <laughs> the oh no, he took off his clo- he even took off his clothes that he was wearing and gave them back to his father. So the bishop gave him um, clo- uh, sort of a gown with a belt and some shoes, and he went out. And uh, basically he ended up giving his his shoes and his belt away. And then he wore just a string around his belt because he came across someone who needed them more. And also, um, Matthew, uh, in Matthew 10, um, all right. I haven't got it written down here. Basically, when it tells her to give up everything and sort of just walk in in uh, in love of God, right? So um, there's a lot of things that happened to that point. So now he's sort of effectively on his own, wandering around. But um, his people sort of were hearing about him. Some thought he was rather weird. <laughs> some people you know didn't. but there was um a, a village of uh called Gebeo and there's a story that goes that there was a wolf that was terrorizing this village mm-hmm. and the people of the village couldn't do anything about it and everything so francis came to the village it came and saw the wolf and basically preached the gospel to the wolf and basically sort of brought harmony and as you know the wolf would roam the village, but the, would live in peace, and the villagers would then leave food out for the for the wolf. However, some people have said that you know there's nothing to say that wasn't the case. But um, some people say that it's possible that the, this wolf signifies the name of an uh, an outlaw at the time. That basically kept raiding and robbing the village and no matter how many times the villagers stood up to him he always came out on top and so Francis approached him brought the word of God to him and reunited the, the village he he believed that it, was a t- it had to be a reconciliation it wasn't a case of just you know turning and s- s- that there had to be a reconciliation Um, So he he began having um, sort of people started to look at him and wanted to follow him and so (coughs) (coughs) people joined him and he got about 12 people who wanted to follow his ways and join him so (coughs) not that he set out to do this but he Then set up this community, which he called the Minor Friars or Friar Miners, because he wanted their their sign to be that they were going to serve everyone and be the most humble. Um, So that was it. He spent a lot of his time in Italy, but his he did have this lust to go abroad and he wanted to um, preach to the Muslims and he tried on a couple of occasions, one time he was shipwrecked, one time he became ill he did get to speak to um, Sultan in Egypt and uh, the Sultan apparently said, if all Christians were like you, I would become a Christian <laughs> but um, and he, he allowed Francis to preach in that area Um. But uh, Francis wanted to go to the Holy Land, and he got to the Holy Land, and presumably he set up there. So now all the, site of the Christian holy sites in the Holy Land are actually run by Franciscans. Um, but so he 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 did get to travel a bit, but his health was always um, weak. Um, And one time, one time, I I didn't know this, but anyway, he was um, visiting somewhere in Italy, and he said, "I'd like to make a kind of living representation of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, so as to witness, so to say, the eyes of the body of humility of the incarnation, and see him lying in the manger between ox and donkey." He was. the incarnation of Christ was quite special to him. And it's from him we get our nativity scene. So. Yeah, he wanted to basically celebrate the incarnation in a special way. Um, uh, One of his uh, brothers, Brother Leo, um, used to spend a lot of time with him and he affirmed that he used to see that when he was observed, Francis in prayer, that Francis would be elevated above the ground, high above the ground, so that he couldn't actually, tu- you know, bring him down. Um, which is quite amazing. If, you know. um, now. The other main thing about uh, Francis, uh, Saint Francis, was that that he bore the signs of the cross, and this happened around the feast of the Assumption in twelve um, twenty four. It's around mid August. Um, he went to a mountain, Laverna, and he they say he built a small cell there. He built a. a, a I suppose there was a cave and he sort of took it. And he took his um, friend, Brother Leo. But he told, said that he, he didn't want anyone else going to him until after the Feast of St. Michael, which was the 29th of September. So that's about six and a half weeks. Mm. Um, and he just went there to pray. Um, and it's uh, on about. It says on about the fourteenth of September, um, when the church celebrated the exaltation of the Holy Cross, when the stigmata um, took place. Francis, so he, you know, while he was in prayer, he got the signs of uh, the Jesus on the cross, and these were open wounds that would stay open for the rest of his life. Um, But he didn't want anyone to see them. So from that moment onwards, he wore socks and sandals, uh, socks and shoes, and he always kept his hands underneath his Obviously, he he did show his his brothers in the community. Um, He also said to his brother... He (laughs) communicated to his brother... (laughs) I don't know, but this is a name, okay? He communicated to his brother Illuminated. <laughs> Imagine be called Illuminated. <laughs> okay. And some others, what had happened while he was praying on the mountain. But he added that certain things that he had been revealed to him, no man on earth would ever discover. So he wouldn't relate it. Um... But when he came down from the mountain, he, w- you know, people would come to him and he'd be healing them. Um, as I said, his health was never strong, and after he had the stigmata with the open wounds, it was never going. It was never going to be strong again. But one time when he was sick, one of his brothers proposed. To read a book to him, um, to distract him from the pains and things, and he responded, "Nothing consoles me more than the contemplation of the life and passion of our Lord. Although I have to live until the end of the world, um, only that book is uh, only that book is enough. So, if he had to live till the end of the world, that book was the only book that he would want to read." Um, he died on the third, on th- he died in October of uh, 2026, so 2 years after the um, and uh, when he was uh, when he was dying, um, he well, before he was dying, he was very ill. He lost he was losing his sight. It was a lot of, abdominal pain and everything. And he, the, one of the bishops in Rome sent him to a, um, a physician and they used hot irons to try and get rid of the cataracts in the eyes and things. But he said that during that time he felt no pain. Mm. But, uh, and uh, on his deathbed, he broke bread with everyone around him. I just thought, you know, it's quite a remarkable life. Obviously, we're talking about nine hundred, you know, eight hundred years ago, <coughs> and we've only got the recount, uh, the records of people who wrote it down. Who would who would have been his fellow brothers and things? Plenty more in his life, but that's just a little bit. But um, he has made a difference. I mean, so can you remember recently the the, um, uproar about the canonization of Mother Teresa when it was so soon after her death? Well, the same sort of thing happened then. He was canonized two years after his death. Um, So, and he was really. standing up against, at the time, the Catholic Church was very, much, very rich, affluent, and everything like that. And when you look back and you see that um, the, initial, you know, the initial word that, that uh, Francis has had, go repair my house, which you can see is com- falling completely into ruin he he did a lot to go out preaching the love of Jesus that was basically all he did he'd be going out preaching and at the time when he first came it was only supposed to be those that were ordained that could preach and so he wasn't he was doing this without authorization he then went to one of the popes and asked for authorization. they didn't want to give it, but in the end they did, and hence we got the Franciscans. But since t- today we've had a new Pope recently, and this is what Pope Francis said, when it became clear the cardinals had elected him Pope, right? He said, Cardinal Hume embraced me and kissed me and said, Don't forget the poor. And that struck me, the poor. Immediately I thought of St. Francis of Assisi. Francis was a man of peace, a man of poverty, a man who loved and protected creation. That was when he chose the name Francis, he explained, adding, how I would love a church that is poor and for the poor. So I said that this sort of struck sort of parallels in some respect with Heidi Baker. And you know, part of what she was saying is when she was ill, she wanted to go to this meeting in Toronto. And it was there that she was given the commission to go to Mozambique. And she was Said she was out in spirit for a long period of time, but in no one around her could see how she could get there because she was so ill. But obviously, she's then healed of that. And she was saying how you have, to, you know, she would just spend time with God, spend time. And she she recounted another time when she was at a meeting in Bethel, where. She said she doesn't know whether she was pushed over by someone or if it was a spirit. She said she initially couldn't feel anything. But she stayed there. She said she wasn't going to move until the word that has been spoken over to her that she was going to heal (coughs) the hearing or the sight of people in Mozambique. She said she wasn't going to move until she felt that God had given her that. And... It went on through, you know, people were hoovering around her. They carried her <laughs> into somebody's house, into a bedroom, and she was lying there, and she was still praying, you know, almost demanding of God, you know. You said this, I believe this, you know. And she felt herself be lifted off the bed and thrown on the floor, and she couldn't do anything. And then there was a knock at the door, on the bedroom door. She said she found it really difficult to get over to the door. And when she opened it, there were two people there who basically had driven miles and miles to tell her what God had done to her. And then she went back to Mozambique and all the miracles she carries out there. And there are certain powers that it's, you know, St. Francis spent time. You know, he was devoted to prayer and just giving everything up for God. Yeah. Um, there's some remarkable people around and yeah, I, we're not we're not all called to the same task. Yeah? Yeah, you can sort of flick through. <laughs> um you know, we haven't all got the same path to walk. And we have to find out what our path is. But the only way we're going to do that is to be intimate with our God. Um, Someone else to be inspired by I think is William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. Basically, it was when he was told by his son that the homeless people, uh, about the homeless sleeping on the banks of the Thames, he responded to his son, go and do something. You know? You've seen it? What are you going to do about it? Mm. So, um, and that became the philosophy of the Salvation Army. Right? And um, basically, they said that they took an in- in- innovative approach by demonstrating their faith, by offering a practical support to people. They wouldn't just give them food, <coughs> they would give them things to help them beyond that. Yeah. <coughs> so, they wanted to help people in a practical way to reach out to the poor and the destitute. And they basically came out of the conventional church to fi- found their, their basically have um, a church where they took the message to people rather than people coming to them. Um, and that was basically due to a disagreement <laughs> with church leaders that they left the church. Um, so there was that... Right, um, another story I just want to bring you is today in particular is one where we think about people who have given their lives in service to the country in war. Um, we've always, we think about the ser- those who've served in various services. I mean, every year we seem to be reminded of people that haven't been brought to our attention before. So years ago, it was those, uh, you know, human nursing or whatever, um, the home front. This year it was about the invisible army that people were, I can't remember what they're called now, but they were in reserve that they if we were invaded they would go down into various bunkers and from there lead the resistance but we have to basically in times of war everyone there's you know there's there's sometimes a moment for everyone that has that needs to stand up and Obviously, part of the worst bit of one of the worst bits of World War II was the Holocaust. And I just want to read about um, this person, Maria Weinstein, who was born in Poland. Father and mother, father had a good job, um, but they were rounded up from their village and moved to a, a ghetto. And their father was allowed to go out to do business locally and then come back in. One, one day when his father was out, they were hearing about how Jews in other parts of Russia, I think that they'd been moved to part in Ukraine, so in other parts of Russia, how the Jews were basically being rounded up and just machine gunned. And they started to worry and she was only eleven years old, and she went into her room. Um, right, um, got the wrong paper. Mixed my pages up. Right. So, Maria ran into her room. And began to pray, God save us. She felt she had to escape, and so she went to her mother. Uh, and her mother refused to, re- to, to leave her son, and her son was clinging fearfully to her side. So Maria took her younger sister, I think it was eight, and they'd fled. Once they got to the edge of the um, ghetto... <coughs> guard halted them and they said are you a Jew? and the 8 year old denied it and he accused her of lying the guard span round switching to Maria and Maria spoke in Ukrainian to the Ukrainian guard I was delivering milk to some lady she didn't know some of those words um, and they let her out So th- they just went on their own. They were just tr- m- m- moving around. Um, while they were out, um, the people were rounded up and made to dig a big pit that they were told that they were going to put chemicals in them in it. And then everyone in the ghetto was then asked to strip, lined up in front of the pit, and they were machine gunned. But while she was out, she met her father. Um, he was on his way back into the ghetto. He heard about what had happened, and so took, took them away and tried to escape. And they were in various uh, hiding places in trees, they had to watch because the Ukrainians had paid um, the Polish people around to be spies for them. And uh, basically, long, long and the short of it is that um, they they were spotted um, coming out of a wood. Um, Maria ran in one direction. Her father and a younger uh, sister were behind them because Maria was sort of going first into this village. And basically, the father was shot. The father pushed her, the younger daughter into a ditch. And after, and Maria had run back in uh, back into some woods and was hiding. And then a wolf came to her. And the wolf went away, and she just felt that she was supposed to get up. So she got up, and when she went out, she saw her sister. So they were together again. Um, and they had to try and fend for themselves. They tried to go round to people's houses, but they wouldn't have anything to do with with them. They tried to keep themselves warm in barns, and hide themselves in barns and things. And they were getting very malnourished and things. So they decided, you know, she she said, well, I'm not frightened of dying anymore?" She said, well, we might as well go back to the ghetto. They didn't know what had happened in the ghetto because the father hadn't told them. So they made, started to make their way back to the ghetto. In the meantime, they would still go to, they'd say, well, we'll try this village because either they're going to help us or they're not and we'll get killed but we'll get killed when we get back to the ghetto, so. You know. There you go. So, anyway, so they started walking back. And they didn't have any luck in this village. People were saying, no, you know, saying you're Jews, you need to go away, you know, one thing or another. So they're walking away. And this woman was outside <coughs> doing some uh, craft work. Craft. Um, and. Basically, the woman called them over and said, you know, uh, basically, took took them in. Let me see shoot again. And this was a, a lady called Mrs. Yannick and she she basically said, "Who are you? Um, come over here." And she said, "Well, you can stay with us." Now Mrs. Yannick had lost twins earlier, so she had three children. The other two would make five, but she'd lost she she had lost twins, um, and she took them in, and. and Miss Yannick did that knowing that if she was found out, her whole family <coughs> would be killed. But um, she had, um, she kept Maria and Vanya, and um, basically a few months after they were there, people came to the door and said, you're hiding Jews. Send them out, and she says, "No, these are all my children." You know, and they they believed her. They went away. Um, And Maria said that she didn't understand why the woman had done that. You know, because so, are you going to get shot? (laughs) You know. And so she started asking questions. She knew that they went to church, that the mother never, you know, she never sort of made them go or anything, to enforce their beliefs, until Maria sort of basically asked her. Um, and in the end, Maria sort of went, they went and started, after this, they started going to church because they felt that they were one, really felt as if, you know, she'd found a family to live with. And move on with. And another time came when the Nazi- Nazis were outside and they tried to burn the house down. And the family were inside praying and the house never burnt. So, but it's that woman, you see, <laughs> sees the girls, she loves the person in front of her and does, what, does that. It's that one step. Even though she knew what it might mean for her and her children, so uh, yeah. <coughs> and uh, since we're coming up to Christmas, I thought we'd talk about it. So just finish on Saint Nicholas, right? Not a lot, to be honest, is fully known about him. Although he was a very rich man. right? <coughs> Parents died when he was young and left him a lot of money. But he was very kind. And he had a reputation for helping the poor. And giving gifts in secret. Right? To people who needed it. Um... Right, they say the most famous story about St. Nicholas tells us how the custom of hanging stockings to get presents first started. There was a poor man who had three daughters. He was so poor he did not have enough money for a dowry, so his daughters couldn't get married. Um, One night, Nicholas secretly dropped a bag of gold down the chimney into the house where they were drying their socks. uh, and it went into the sock so the bag fell into the stocking and he repeated this a time later for the second daughter and repeated it again for the third daughter so uh, but the father secretly hid by the fire for the third one third drop and spotted Nicholas doing it. But Nicholas told him not to tell anyone. Um, but obviously the news got out. <laughs> 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 so so there's some stories about people who acted on faith and I hope there's an inspiration there. And some quotes here. obviously Mother Teresa another one so and I have a few fancy copies of those quotes, I have some here if you want to take them away